great to see so many of you here on this rainy morning. Some of you back from holidays, welcome back. That's uh, great, great to see. Um, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we started a brand new series. And if you're listening online, uh, we know you're there as well, and we're glad that you're tuning in. But if you haven't been here, you've, uh, we, we started a, a series a couple weeks ago, and we started talking about the topic of money. And for some, that's like, oh, you know, you're just like thinking, oh, man, I just invited a friend to church. Like, why did you have to go and talk about money? I told them this church isn't all about the money, and now, now here you go. You just ruined it. You know, they'll never come back. Don't worry. If, you, if you're like here and you're not a Jesus follower, you're like, maybe they talked you into coming. They're going to buy you lunch at Hewitt's after if you'll just come to the service. However they got you here, don't worry about it. Today, there's something in it for every single um, person here. And we're not talking about money because Kingsway needs more money. You guys are incredibly generous people. We are so blessed to be a part of a church that gives way beyond its size. Uh, you guys are leveling up the average in Canada on, you know, church giving. So props to you guys for that. That's not why we're talking about it. The other reason we're not talking about it is because God needs your money. Have you ever thought about that? Somebody's like, God, you know, God, he just needs you the money. What's he going to do with it? Like, he can't wear your clothes. He can't drive your car. He doesn't need, he's got gold paved streets. He doesn't need our money. So there's another reason behind it. We sometimes think that that's why, um, that when we think of churches, it's like, oh, you know, they're just going to use God to get my money. But last, a uh, couple of weeks ago when we started this series, we, the reason we want to talk about it is not, it's just that in Canada, we have, we have a lot of people who have a difficult time handling money and using money and finding themselves in these places. They're like, Ugh. you know, we looked at the stats and you can find that uh, uh, online if you want to listen to that. But we learned in week one that you can have money. But part two is we learned that money can have you. You can have stuff, but then sometimes stuff has you. And that's when it gets dangerous, you know, when, when you've got stuff that, you know, if, you, if, the, if the wife accidentally scratches, you know, the, the, her jeans up against your car, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, it's, that raises all this anger, it's like, oh, the car before her. Or maybe it's small things like I talked about, you know, angry at my kids over a, over a watering can. Sometimes it's like that he doesn't want the stuff to come between you and your relationships. We talked about the fact that there's two masters. You know, that the challenge for each and every one of us is not serve God today or serve Satan. That's not how it goes. It's much more, much more subtle than that. It's like, am I going to serve God or am I going to be drawn to serve stuff? And so what we realize is that God doesn't want you to be a slave to stuff. He wants your heart to be free to follow him and to do what you desire. And you can't if you're, if you're uh, tied up in this uh, thing called stuff. And so our goal for this whole series is this. We simply want to help you have a better understanding of the priority and the purpose of money. That's all we want to do. Help you have a better understanding. We're not going to take up an offering at the end. We're not going to try and convince you that you should do this. We just want to give you some, some thoughts to say, okay, now with that information, what am I going to do? Why? Because at the end of our, of our uh, article that we were looking at a couple of weeks ago, it was an article in the news, and it just talked about you know, the financial state of, of many Canadians. They said the people who don't understand finances and they don't understand debt, they are more likely to be stressed out about it and anxious about it and worrying about it. And those who did have a better understanding of it were more likely to do something about it. And so that's where we want to be. God doesn't want you worried about it. You know, one of the messages I think we'll be titling, Don't Worry, Be Rich. And you won't want to miss that one. It's a couple weeks from now. Don't worry, be rich. Because he doesn't want you to worry about those things. He's got it covered. But we're going to talk about, a little bit today about, about uh, why we end up in that place. Um, we often hear a lot about what everyone else thinks we should do with money. Advertisers... They, they are paid billions of dollars to get 
billions and trillions of dollars out of your wallets. What do they do? They put up their ads and they're like, buy, 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 right? It's like, just buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this stuff. And what they don't always tell you is that when you're buying that, it, it, it leads to more stuff, but it can also be that you're buying more stress. And then it's also the thought of saying bye, bye, bye to, you know, financial peace, saying bye, bye, bye to freedom, saying, you know, bye, bye, bye to different things uh, that, that are in your future. And for some of you now, it's like NSYNC is going through your head, baby, ain't no lie, and bye, 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 right? Good, you'll remember that now. So, you know, the, this is thought of wanting, to, wanting to, to buy, but we know what everything else around us uh, says what we want to do in this series is take a look at what does God say about money and give you the opportunity to serve a different master when it comes to your finances. So let's jump right in. The writers of the Bible, and there was a lot of them, wrote different parts of the Bible over thousands of years. It was all collected into what we have as the Bible. But as you, as you look through there, there's 2,300 verses. 2,300 verses in the Bible that deal with money in some form. If we picked one verse every uh, week and we just said for the next, you know, we're just going to preach through all the verses in the Bible, we'd be speaking for 44 years about money. If we just did one a week. There's a hundred in Proverbs alone. Jesus talked a lot about money. You know, he talked more about money than he talked about faith, more about money than prayer, than heaven and hell. He talked about money a lot. 40% of his parables, his stories, almost half of them were about money. And so a lot of times when you think about money in church and Jesus and money, you think that most of his teaching would have been about giving. You know, give more money, give to the poor. That's kind of what we heard. Most of it wasn't about giving at all. Most of the, t- uh, of the talk on money in the Bible is about managing money, not giving money. For some of you thinking, oh man, if I become a Christian, he's going to make me give it all away. He's going to take all my money. He's not. He wants to help you manage money. And what's amazing to me is that whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, What Jesus said about money 2,000 years ago is still so relevant and true today. Whether it was shekels and minas or it's your visa bill, you know, your dollars and cents, your bitcoins, your stocks, your bonds, it all matters still. And so today I'm just going to be straight up. I want to do two things, but we're going to make that simpler. I want to tell you one story and I want to give you one step. How many stories? One. One. Can you listen to one story? Yeah. And then to challenge you to take one step. One step in, in bettering your understanding of uh, finances and just challenge you to take one step as far as this idea of managing money. So Matthew chapter 25, if you have your Bible, you can go there. Uh, some of you, you've heard this story before, but I want to I challenge you to, to lean in and listen to what he might be saying to your heart today about that story. So Matthew, the guy who wrote this, he was an eyewitness follower of Jesus. So he followed Jesus around. He saw what Jesus did, and he wrote it down. And then he heard what Jesus said, and he wrote it down so that we'd have a chance to, to remember it. Well, Matthew 25, there was no chapters. It's not like Matthew's like, okay, I'm going to start a new chapter here. Somebody else did that so you could find it easier, and I hope after all this time that you've had, you've been able to find Matthew 25. But Matthew 25 is, is um, connected to Matthew 24. The story's one story. So Jesus is sitting on top of a mountain. He's got his, his disciples around him, and they start asking him questions. And one of them's like, Matthew, Matthew, ask him, ask him you know, when the world's going to end. And like, maybe they're setting him up for it. And so he's like, okay, okay, hey, when's the world, world going to end? Don't worry about him. He's just a kid. Think, I get this, pay attention here. You know, he's, he's saying, when's the world going to end? And Jesus is saying, you know what? You guys, you're not going to know when the world's going to end. 
what I want to tell you is that it's going to end for all of you. You know, maybe it's going to be like Armageddon at the very end of time, but more than likely, you're going to die in like, you know, like a, a, a gladiator arena or whatever. You're not going to make it through something in your life. And so he says to them, he says to them, I want you guys to, to realize how you should live between now and the day you check out of here. The day that we're starting at now and the day we check out of here, here's how I want you to live. So he begins to tell them stories. So he tells them three stories right in a row. One of them, he talks about two types of managers, house managers. So the richer people that day, they'd have somebody else who ran their house, ran their finances, got their kids ready for school, did, you know, the jobs around the house, made sure the grass was cut. I think that's a great idea. I just, I'm not rich enough to have that, right? So, but it was these guys who managed the house and everything was in their hands. And he said there was one who was a great manager and he did everything well and his master was so pleased with him. And then there was this other guy who he would drink as soon as the master left, he's getting drunk, and then he's yelling at the other slaves, and he's beating the other slaves, and he says, when the master comes, that guy's going to be in big trouble. And like, okay, so no problem. The women are all like scratching their heads like, we don't do that master. We don't do that manager type job. And so he's like, I got a story for you. He tells them the story that, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Back then, it's like the same then as it was today. That the women seem to be like all excited about weddings. You mentioned wedding, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, I'm listening now. And, and so he, he tells them the story that there was these 10 girls. They were going to a wedding, and the wedding was happening in the middle of the night, and they didn't know the time, so they had to have their lamps with them, and they would wait. They'd wait for that time to come. And he says five of them were really smart, and they saved enough oil. They slept for a while, and then, you know, when, it, when all of a sudden they heard the sound that the wedding was about to start, they lit their lamps, and they were good to go. Then there was five other ones who weren't so smart, and he says they just let their lamps burn until they burned out. And then when they heard the sound of the wedding, they went to look at their lamps, and they had run out of oil. And he says, the ones who managed it well got to enjoy uh, the wedding. And those who didn't manage it, well, they went to try and buy some. It was too late. And so they're like, okay. So there's good managers, bad managers. And then he tells this story, which is for everyone and anyone, including us today. And it's in Matthew 25, verse 14. So if you have your Bible, you can uh, check it out there. If you've got you version, bring it up there. It's a, we're going to just read through the whole story here. So Jesus says this again, because he's told two stories, he's telling another one. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. So Jesus is telling a story, and it's not a true story. It's something he's making up to make a point. Uh, and so that's important to remember, and we'll see that at the end. But he's telling this story to those who are sitting around. And, and he says this to them. He says, he called together his servants. So we don't really use that term all the time. None of us have servants uh, that, that I know of. But, you know, you've got, in that day and age, they had servants. And we think servant is like the person who, you know, scrubs the floors. He's not saying that. That word is the one who's about his master's business, the manager. He calls all of his house managers together. and He says, fellas, we got to talk. He says, I'm, and he says, he entrusted his money. Really important to see those words, entrusted his money. He didn't give it to them. And when it says entrusted his money, whose was it? His money. He entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one. So you get five bags of silver, right on. Then he gives two bags of silver to Ken. And then he's got one person, I don't know, we'll call him Mark in the back. He gives him one, one bag of silver. And uh, it says he's divided in proportion to their abilities. You know, he's like, this guy, he's pretty shrewd, going to give him five Still pretty shrewd, give him two. That guy in the back, I don't know. We'll take a flyer on him, give him one, see what he does with it. And so this is what, this is, this is what happened. This is then he left on his trip. And the, verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver, he began to invest the money, and he earned five more. 
The servant who had received two bags of silver also went to work and he earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. And when you think about this story, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And so as you listen, you may think he's not just talking about money, which is true. He's talking about managing your life. So all the things in your life, like your time, your talents, but also he is talking about money as well. Verse 14, I don't want you to miss this. He says he entrusted his money to them. He wanted them to know that they are managers, not owners. It's not, what he's wanting them to to understand is these three simple words, it's not mine. Can you guys say that together? It's not mine. He wants them to understand that money is not theirs. See, they, they tend to think and he, that, that through, as, as he's describing this to them, that they think money belongs to, to them, that it's their money. And, you know, we do the same thing. We tend to think that money is ours, and he wants them to think differently about money as he tells them the story. See, for, for, for us, we tend to think it's ours. We think, and the reason we do is this, because we think, I worked for it. I worked really hard for it. I earned it. I saved it. I invested it. I did it. It's all mine, mine, mine. And even as kids, we've kind of shown, you know, pictures of people throughout the, throughout the years, especially, you know, uh, Uncle Scrooge, you know, with him saying, it's all mine, it's all mine, it's all mine. And we don't really want to be like Uncle Scrooge, but, but we have that, that thought of, we think that way subconsciously in our mind. It's, it's all mine, or whoever that is. Um, you know, the thing is, we... We can't take any of it with us when we die. See, we think it's mine. And when I say, hey, say it's all mine, some of you, you wouldn't do it. You're like, I can't. Some of you, I, one guy was saying last night, you know, I said, say it's all, it's, it's not mine. He's like, it's right, it's hers. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> he's halfway there. It's not mine. You know, the thing is, we've, we've not figured out how to take anything with us after we die. After we die, the money's still going to be here. My money's still going to be here for Beth to enjoy with her new husband for 25 years after I'm gone, right? The money will still be here after I'm gone because I don't actually own it. You know, we think, well, yeah, I get that, but I earned it. I did work really hard for it. Let me ask you this. Where did you get the talents to do the job you do? Who did that come from? You were born, you were born with it. You didn't decide it. It was given to you. It was a gift. And for some of you, you know, the job that you have, if you have a job, it's a gift. Some of you are like, I hate my job. You know, but, but think about this for a minute. I've been overseas. I've been to the Philippines, and I've been to the dump sites in the Philippines watching people who were born in the, in the dump site. All they do is pick through other people's garbage all day. They don't have enough ch- the opportunity to get any kind of education to ever leave the dump site. They spend their whole lives picking through other people's garbage and dying young, from, usually from the smoke inhalation of the burning garbage there, and that is their life. So if you have a job, it's a gift. Something given to you, you know, that, that's an, uh, something to be incredibly thankful for. So we can tend to think that it's ours. We can tend to think as well, when we, when we think money's mine, we think it's all for us. It's all for me and my family. Andy Stanley said it this way, it's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. We assume that it's all for me. That either I, I'm going to spend it all on me, or I'm going to save it up for me later, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, or I'm going to spend it on my children. We think it's, it's all about me because it's mine. And we have this kind of closed fist mentality. We hold on to, to the money. And it's hard for God to bless closed fists. You can't put anything in there. He wants us to have open hands instead where money can pass through, stuff can pass through. But he wants to change the way we think. Because we can tend to think that we own it. We can tend to think it's all for us. And, but this is the worst one. When we think it's mine, 
we tend to think that our value is somehow tied to that. Men struggle with this a lot. You know, this thought that, that my worth is determined by my net worth. You know, you hear people saying that, you know, hey, what's that guy worth? Oh, he's got a few hundred acres at six to 8,000 an acre. He's worth a few million. I know you farmers. I hear you shopping. He's worth a few million. Do you know that he's worth no more than the child sitting in this place? The value isn't determined by, by our valuables. You know, that's, it's how much you have doesn't determine at all what you're worth. And yet we're in this thing of because we think, got to get, got to get, because it, it does something for us. Let me, tell, let me, let me just uh, share it this way. You know, when you buy a painting, oftentimes the painting is determined by two value. Uh, there's two values, uh, things that set value on a painting. There's this painting that was found uh, a couple weeks ago in a thrift store in New Hamburg, actually. This, this painting, uh, they found it there. It was, it was made by Maude Lewis. And for those of you who don't know, I didn't either. And, you know, people had passed over. But they found this painting in that thrift store. Somebody had put it in there. And they later sold it for $45,000. Why? Because of whose name is on it. It's, it's who created it. That's what gave the, the painting its value because of who created it. Because I look at that and I'm like, my daughter could paint something better than that. You know, and I'll sell it to you guys for a cheap forty grand. you know. But why? Because it's Maude Lewis who painted it. It's the creator that gave it value. And then the second thought is this, that oftentimes paintings are based, their value is based on what someone else will pay for it. Actually, everything is based on what someone else will pay for it. That's the, the same thought here. There's a guy named Damien Hirst, another artist, which is a, just a fascinating story. His art is creepy. It's like really weird. If you're into weird art, check it out. But otherwise, it's just crazy stuff. But he, he sold his art early on for about $20,000 a piece. And then recently he bought 12 pieces of his art for $15 million. Bought it back. It's actually worth more than that now. Uh, and, and he had paid this huge money to buy it back. I thought, man, what a great picture. Because not only are you created by the God of the universe, you know, if there's value, each and every single one of you is a unique masterpiece because he created you. He didn't create junk. You are valuable just because he made you. But the even greater thought is he also paid an incredible price for you. When we realized that we were out of relationship with God, he says, I'll send my son to die for them, to buy them back, to buy them back. What an incredible price. Never doubt your value. You are incredibly valuable as a person. Whether you believe it or not, you are incredibly valuable and has nothing to do with money. Because what does he want you to think? It's not mine. The money's not mine. Last week as Larry was sharing, he said this in Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's all his. He wants you to think that way because we've, we've been wired to be managers. We've not been wired to be owners. From day one, when he created Adam, what did he do? He put him in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't like he put him in the Garden of Eden. It was like, here you go, five-star paradise. Don't screw it up. That's not how that started, right? He put him in the Garden of Eden. He says, okay, now I'm going to give you a job. Here, I want you to work. I want you to manage. I want you to reign over the planet. And when you think about it, it's incredible. You know, I, I hear um, like, you know, a, the atheists and evolutionists try and explain, you know, that every, every week in the new, there's a new scientific discovery, how much closer, you know, the relative of the apes to us that they've discovered. And, and you think about, you know, that, that, that they're our closest relatives. But you know what? You look at things like that and we are wired completely different. 
You know, it's, we were like made for this planet. This planet was like made for us. When you look at, you know, monkeys and apes, they aren't building cities. They're not figuring out ways to farm the land. They're not making, you know, this, this um, so much more out of this planet. They just live off the land. It's, this, it's that thing that, that's so unique about us. We were created to manage and, and, and reign over this planet. And look at what man has been able to do as a result. Why? Because you've been wired that way. But we've been wired to be managers. And so Jesus in this story, He's reminding them of that, that thought that you as followers of Christ, he said to them and to us, he says, you're managers. The master gave them his money to manage while he was away, and he gave it according to their abilities. You know, that's really freeing for us. Because if you don't have a lot and you sort of look at your neighbor and like, oh, they got more stuff than I do, don't worry about that. That's not up to you. You're not, you're not responsible for managing their stuff. You're responsible for managing what he gave you. It doesn't matter how much you have, but how you manage what you have. It doesn't matter how much you have. It matters how you manage what you have. Five bags and two bags of silver, both were um, called good and faithful servants because they managed what they had properly. Same, same thought for us. There's people that make a ton of money, and they're very, they, they manage it very poorly. You see people, millionaires going bankrupt. How come? They manage it very poorly. And then you'll see people who don't make a lot of money and they manage it so wisely. And that's what Jesus is talking about. In verse 19, he says this, after a long time, the master returns from the trip and he calls them to give an account of what they had done or how they had used his money. And the servant to whom he entrusted, remember he didn't give it, he entrusted it to them. The five uh, bags of silver, he came forward with five more and said, master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I earned five more. And the master was full of praise for him. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. You've been faithful with what you were given. Now you get more. And he says, let's celebrate that together. And the second uh, servant, he says in verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. And the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. You know, you see the response of the master to the two faithful servants. He's like, you guys, well done. You were faithful. His response to the third servant wasn't, oh, man, you poor, poor guy. Like, I had no idea that my giving you this money was going to make you afraid. I didn't want you to be, I'm so sorry. Let's just, let's do a redo. You know, let's, let's, let's give you another chance to go out. Here's another bag of silver or take the one you just dug out of the ground and go do something good with it this time. You know why it doesn't go like that? Because you don't get two chances at life. You got one. You got one chance. And at the end, we give account of what we did with, with what we had. The master replied to him, says, you wicked, lazy servant, if you knew, if you knew that there was going to be a day of, a, of reckoning, if you knew that I harvested crops and I, that I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. He's like, you knew you would have to give an account. If you weren't going to manage it, why didn't you give it to someone else who would manage it um, well for me? Because in the end, that's exactly what happened. As you see in verse 28, he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. Because to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. See, this is the key right here. He says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. 
And then it says in verse 30, now throw this useless servant into outer darkness of the world. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And for those who read it out of context, like if you don't use your money well, you go to hell. Right? That's not, that's not the story. You know, it's, it'd be highly motivating, wouldn't it? But it's not, that's not what Jesus is saying in this story. But he's saying he wants them to understand two things. What's the first thing? It's not mine. He wants you to, some of you just can't say that yet. You know, you're like, I, I don't know. It's not mine. He's saying, listen, if you think it's mine, you're going to misuse it. He says, it's, realize it's not mine. The second thing is manage it well. Because there's two different types of managers in all the stories. There's the ones who do it well, and there's the ones who don't. And we know it in our own lives. If you've got a financial planner and you go to him and say, hey, how's my investments doing? He's like, oh, yeah, your investments. Uh... I, you know, I'm just not really that organized. I think that, I think they're probably doing okay. What are you going to do? You'd be like, what do you mean probably doing okay? I'm not watching my money because you're supposed to be watching it full time. That's your job. If you're, that's not why I gave you the money is so that you could just be like, ah, I don't know what, what happened to it. It'd be like a farmer. You know, if you farmers gave, you know, another guy, he said, hey, go, here's the seed, go plant my field. And then you find out later he's got, put all the seed in his bedroom. You'd be like, what? That's not what I, that's not what I, I gave the seed to you to do. Maybe you own the blue barn and you're listening online. Hi, John. And you have somebody who you hire to, um, to, to manage your blue barn. All of a sudden you find out they took all the furniture from the blue barn and put it in their own house. You'd be like furious and saying, what? Why did you? That's not what I gave it to you to do. I didn't give it for you to manage the way you want to uh, manage it. I gave it to you so you'd manage it the way that I want you to manage it. And one day we're going to give an account of how we managed what he entrusted to us. And the truth is that whatever you don't manage well, you lose. Whatever it is. You don't manage your time well, you lose it, right? If you procrastinate, maybe you're in school and you got an exam coming up and you're like, oh yeah, you know, I probably should study, but you know, you kind of don't manage time well. And all of a sudden you find yourself, it's like 6 a.m. and the exam's at 9. And you're like, and I have six hours of study to do. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you don't get the time back. Time doesn't wait for anyone. If you don't manage your health, you know, if you don't manage your health well, you're going to lose it. You know, you eat at McDonald's every day. There's a movie about what happens to you if you want to just watch that. It'll show you, you know, it, if you don't manage it well, you'll lose it. If you don't manage your marriage and make sure that you prioritize time with your spouse, you run the risk of losing it. Why? Because work will try and take your time. Your friends will try and take your time. All the stuff around your house will take your time. If you don't manage your family well, time with your kids you'll lose it. You know, if you're so busy as a dad that, you know, or as a parent, you're work, 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 work through all their, their, their years, and they finally get to their teenage years, and they feel like they don't even know you, and they never want to come home, and they never want to see you, and you're like, I got time to relax now. Come visit me. Like, we're going to go hang out with our friends. If you don't manage it well, you run the risk of losing it, and same with money. So the question this morning is this, what about us? What about me? What about you? How does this affect us? Maybe you're not a Jesus follower and like, I, you know, I, I don't know if I even believe in God or I don't, I'm not sure about any of that stuff. This morning, I want to challenge you just to listen to this next little part because it affects every person. It's beneficial for every single person. The question is this, what did you do with what you had? What did you do with what you had? Don't worry about anybody else. Just think about, and let's not think about that as in life. Let's just think about that for a week. What did you do with the money that you had last week? Do you know what happened with the money that you had last week? Maybe, you're, maybe you live paycheck to paycheck, and we start talking about, you know, what happened to your money. You're just like, 
I don't know, it's gone. It's just always gone. You know, it, I look at my bank statement and it's always more red than black. The bank probably, you should invest in red toner for the banks the way things are going now. You know that it's always, I'm always in the red. You know, there's two different types of people who know, you know, how to answer that question. What did you do with what you had? And I'll give you a little illustration this morning. So just picture these two things as your, as your, as your bank. And that each of these would be, you know, you, you put in the water in, you put in the money into your bank. And there's one group of you that's like this. You're like realizing, okay, I got my measuring cup. I'm going to scoop out a little bit. I need $50 for hydro. No, I need $400 for hydro. You know, I need, I need like 50 bucks for our groceries. I need 200 for my kids' groceries. I need like $70 for gas. And sweet, there's still some in there. I know where it is. There's others of you just like you put your money in. You're like, it's gone. Where did it go? I, it's just always gone. And so you decide, I know how to fix this. I'm going to get another job. And you're going to work two jobs, three jobs. You're just going to work harder, harder, harder. And you come back and you look, it's gone. Where's the money? Where did it go? What did I do with what I had last week? And for some of you, you know exactly, because you measured it out. You know exactly where it went. And for others, you're like, I just have no idea. I guess I just got to make more. So this morning, one story, here's one step. We want to challenge you to take one step towards being a better manager of the money that you've been given. Just to take one step. You know, in the last couple of years, we heard a lot about, especially with our governments, about them trying to balance the budget. You know, we hear a lot about it, right? It's not that it's happening. But, but why do we hear about, especially in election years, why do we hear about people wanting to balance the budget? Because that's kind of what we want. We want, we want balance. And the simple thing about a balanced budget is that you spend less than, uh, um, than, than you make. You spend less than you make. Don't spend any more than what you actually have. That's, that's what our hope is as a country. It's kind of what our hope is. A couple years ago when Justin was running for, um, for office, this is what, um, there was a huge uproar about this statement that he made. And it said this, that the budget will balance itself. You know what, to be fair to him, this was taken completely out of context. And, you know, the conservatives had a heyday with this. They're like, let's put that everywhere, you know, maybe he won't win. Uh, but the problem is that everybody can also go to Google and realize this wasn't the full statement. And so, to be fair to him, it wasn't the full statement. But why did this cause uproar in people? Because they know that that's not true. There's no way that that's possible, that, the, you know, the, the budget will not just balance itself. It's not just going to all work out. And yet, for so many people in their personal lives, they live as if that's true. They just kind of go through life and, and kind of hoping that it's all going to work out and things are okay now, so it must be okay. But they don't actually have balance in their own lives, especially in, in, when it comes to finances. Andy Stanley uses this great illustration. I want to use it. He, he said, you know, when you want balance in your life financially, it actually, it actually corresponds to, like, balance, the laws of balance. Uh, and so with, with balance, he says, you've got to have a correct, um, a correct perspective. Or, you, the, like, the first um, law of is that you have the correct reference point. When you want to balance something, if I want to balance a stick, and I'm going to go back here because I didn't do so hot with this last night. But... Uh, if I want to balance this, what do I need to be watching? I need to be watching the top of the pole, or it's not staying up. As long as I watch the top of the pole, I should be good. You never know the skills you learn in Bible school, right? So, so as I watch the top, I also have to be doing something else. The second step is making constant corrections so that it doesn't fall. And the third step is having a goal or having a reason why I'm holding a stick, having a reason why I want to have balance. And the same thing is true with our, with our finances. You've got to have the correct perspective. You've got to have 
the correct reference point at all times. If, you're, if your finances are going to stay balanced, if you're going to be a good manager of what you've been given. When it comes to being a better manager of your finances, you need to keep your eye on it. And I'm not very intimidating, but he is. You know that idea of I'm watching you. I'm money. I'm watching you. I know what's going on. I've got my, I've got my eye on it. You know, it's a couple years ago when we shared this, uh, talked about finances. We gave you one statement about this idea of having your eye on I just want to try this just maybe. We started the statement by saying, and I want you to finish it, you got to be knowing where your money's going. You got to be knowing where your money's going. That's two years ago. Great remembering. You've got to be knowing where your money is going. You've got to have your eye on it. Because if you don't, crazy things can happen. I don't know if you ever see that show, Just for Laughs. They see it on the airplane, Just for Laughs, the gags. You know what? what? They do all kinds of crazy stuff. But one of the things they do often is they find some person who's just happened to be minding their own business and said, hey, hey, can you watch something for me? Can you watch my child? And then they leave and the child blows up an outhouse, right? Or, hey, they're like, can you watch my, can you watch my puppy for me? And it's white when, when they said, and then later on they come back and it's spray painted with a rainbow, right? Or they say, hey, can you watch my car? And so there's, you know, your car. And so they, they sit there and they watch it. And a few seconds later, they take their eyes off and all of a sudden this is what happens to their car. And, and uh, that's this idea of watching it and something terrible happens to as soon as they take their eyes off of it. And they didn't see what happened. And then they, what happens? The person comes back and they're like, what happened to my child? What happened to my puppy? What happened to my car? And, and it's all, I mean, there's no voices. It's all in French, I think. But, but then at the very end, do you, mean, you know what they do at the very end of, of every little vignette? They show them what? The camera. And they all point at the camera, and everybody's laughing and smiling like, oh, it was a joke. Oh, phew. You know, it's, it's, it's not as bad as it is. Most of us are hoping that that's what's going to happen when our finances tank. That somebody's going to be like, it's okay, buddy. It's, it's all on camera. It's just a joke. Here's all your money back. It, it just doesn't happen that way. It's not usually how it ends when there's financial imbalance. So in closing today, in closing today, I want to challenge you with one thought. That you've got to be knowing where all your money is going. And for, and for some, you think, well, I'm not saying this because it's the, it's the key to getting rich. That's not why we're saying this. this. The reason we're saying is you've got to be knowing where all your money is going because it's not yours. You're managing it for someone else. And for some, you think, you know, maybe you're like, I don't believe in God, so I don't even think that, you know, I don't think I'm managing it for someone else. Then I would challenge you to listen even more closely because you're managing it for you. Someday you're going to look back at you and go, how come you managed it so poorly? You know, if I could just go back. I want to challenge you to take one step to manage, to manage your, uh, uh, what you've been given better. And this week, we want to challenge you to find out where your money's going. And for some of you, you track. Last night, there was someone who said, you know, yeah, I, I know exactly. I, so I, you know, I know exactly. I'm like, okay, so how much did you spend on gas last week? About $30, maybe 40 How much was your rent? I don't know. I don't know. So few people do this. And, and so, you know, most of us would think, oh, so few people do it because it's difficult. It's not difficult. It's really, really simple. It's really easy, and we want to help you with that. And I want to challenge every person to do it. Beth and I are going to do this as well. Even though we, we have a great handle on where our money's going a couple of years ago, things change. As kids come into the mix, as they get older, as things change. Uh, this season, you know, this season called yard sale season changes like how this, this sheet goes. So we want to we challenge you with this thought to take one week. 
for some, you know, to take one week and, and track where your money's going, saying, I got my eye on it. I know where the money's going. So it's really simple. There's a page at this back. Grab one. The smartest people in this place are going to take a sheet. So if you feel like, I don't want to take a sheet, the smart, the wisest people are going to be the ones who take the sheets. Just saying. So, but it's really simple. You can do this or you can do it on your computer. And if you don't take a sheet, I'm trusting you do it on your computer. Just go to the spot where it says date. And that's not whether you had one or not. That's just you put in there, you know, with a date. And then description, you know, Tim Hortons, Tim Hortons again, Tim Hortons, whatever. And then the amount. And then track that for one week. You might be surprised to know that you might not know where all your money's going. You think you do. I remember doing this. I'm like, I can't believe how much we spent at Tim Hortons. I can't believe how much you spent on clothes. Why did we have to buy a fidget spinner for $10? And why do all four of our children need one? Whatever it may be, you might be surprised. But he's given you something. What, are you, what did you do with what you've been given for some of the men, you're like, I get a statement at the end of the month. I don't need to do this. I know how you think, because I think the same way. It's that thought of this. You know, they'll send me the statement. Let me tell you this. The bank tracks your money. Why? They're really good at it. You know why they track it? Because they want more of it. They, they want to get, they want to find a way. As they track it really well, they know your spending patterns and habits. Google will, will send you advertisements that they know you're going to want to buy. So you'll get more, uh, they'll get more of your money. And the, the thing is this, that we would know in real time where our money is going. That you would know in real time where your money is going. Not that you're going to try and do better next month, but just for one week. Just to track it. Why? Because it's not mine. I'm tracking what I'm doing with what he's given me. That you would have your eye on it that you would have your eye on it. Not because it's going to make you rich, but because it's not your money. And so this last thought, your mission, your mission this week is to go spy on your money. Your mission is to just track it, find it, see where it's going, make sure you know it, and to jot it down. Find out where your money's going this week. And you know, in the movies, they always have like the, the army guys like, this is your mission. You know, and he says, I want you to go out there and do this. And what do they always say at the end? Okay, captain, I'm on it. So this is what I wanted to challenge you, that your response would be this. I on it. I know that's, no, the other one. We don't have the other one. The other one. I on it. I know that's terrible grammar, but it's really, really great advice. That you would say, you know what? Yeah, I'm on it. I'm just going to do it for one week. Even if I think I know, I'm going to do it for one week because I want to be a good manager of what he has entrusted to me. Next week, we'll give you step two. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you that it is, oh man, it's amazing, even after all these years, that it's alive and powerful. It affects our lives in incredible ways. God, thanks for all the times that it's spared us from, from pain and heartache. Thank you for the wisdom that can be found there. God, I just pray that you'd help us as your followers to be good managers of what you've given us, to realize that, that what you've entrusted to us is to be used to show you to the world. Help us to be good managers of that this week. I pray for, for those who are taking this one step with you. God, would you bless them for taking a step in your direction as far as it comes to their finances? And Lord, I pray that it will give us opportunities to share your hope and your love with our world around us. Thank you again for this chance to be together as your family, the church. I love that you designed it this way. Thank you for that. Pray your blessing on them as they go from this place. And in your name, I pray. Amen.